Could you please open up to the book of Luke? And we are in chapter 6, verses 27. Uh, Let's just open up and pray. Lord, I thank you for another day to worship you. I thank you, God, um, for this church body. I thank you for their commitment to your gospel, to overseas missions. I thank you for their commitment to reaching this community. I, I just thank you, God, for their love for your scripture, that we're able to open up week after week and even go pretty, uh, very, very deep and serious about it. And I pray today, as we open up the scriptures, that we would let it, um, I'm not going to say confront us, but open our eyes to a new way of seeing other people the way Jesus did. We need your Holy Spirit to confirm these truths, to um, help me speak boldly and honestly, and um, help us, God, to really find joy in our salvation, that we really have a new life because of what Christ has done for us, not not what we have done at all. We love you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to say, I want to begin here, before we read this chapter, I want to say that where, where you begin really determines where you end up and how you see where you're going. For instance, how you view your salvation did you deserve it or did you earn it, really will determine how you live the rest of your life. I would, I would say it like this. Go ahead. Just desserts need to be your, your first steps or a priori. Do, what do you really deserve from God? How you answer that question will determine how you even listen to what is going to be read today. I believe if you don't answer this question correctly, what we're going to read, you will not understand. Not only will you not understand it, you will be like, this, this, is, this makes no sense. And by a priori, let me show you, we just, sang, we just sang a song about this. Go ahead to the, go to the first slide on this. Okay, so listen to how, what we just sang. And this is what I mean, this is the first step. Even a writer of this song understands that the foundation stone that you lay gives impact on everything else. We began by saying, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. That yet I thought I didn't. I didn't know the way because I was lost. And in the sin that promised joy in life, it's led me to death, to the grave. And, and you're saying, I know this, I know this. But when we get into this passage... If you don't know this, you'll, you'll start reacting to what I'm going to read in a second. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, that's, that's the key to this song, if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. In other words, if God didn't come after me, I would still be in darkest night. That's the point of this song. Now, let's go into our scriptures, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. We have been, um, last week we began a three-part series on what it means to be a disciple. Last week we said, 
It's a new kind of life. It's, it's, a, uh, it's not living the typical old life. It's living a new life of faith. Okay, now today we are going to be reading 27 through 36. This is part two in our discipleship series. Jesus writes, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And I'm purposely taking my time on this because I think we cruise through this. These, those two statements. Wow. Verse 28. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Meaning, if he asks for your outward garment, also, if he's really cold, give him your, your t-shirt too. That's what a tunic was in those days. Verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Verse 31, and... As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned forgive and you will be forgiven give and it will be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you that's what we're going to look at and what i'm telling you is if you don't understand that everything you have is undeserved you won't make sense out of this and you won't live this this is how a disciple is supposed to live so the title for this week is Part two of following a disciple. And it's a new kind of love that we're going to offer. It's a new kind of love. And so we begin in verse 27. And when I say disciple, last week we talked, we defined apostle. This week we're going to define disciple. So when I just say disciple, if you would define it in your mind, what would come to your mind? Probably a follower, one who follows. That's a good definition. Some people would say, well, we get the word discipline from disciple. Maybe a disciplined person. Somebody who does spiritual disciplines, like prays, meditates. That's a good definition. That's a really good definition. I'm going to offer you up this definition. It's so simple, but it's exactly what a disciple is. And it's right here in verse 27. It says, but I say to you who hear. That's what a disciple is. You who hear. 
Now, when, when Jesus talks about hearing, it's a different kind of hearing. It's not the way a husband hears his wife. Honey, did you, uh, did you do the dishes? Ah, what, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I asked you two weeks ago to fix the garage door. How you doing? Yeah, yeah, I know. I'll do it. I'll get to it. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And it's not the way a son listens to his mom while he's playing Minecraft or, dare I say it, black ops zombies on the couch. Hey, uh, did you do your homework? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I did it. Okay, leave me alone. It's not that kind of hearing. That's when Jesus said, you who hear, that's not the kind of hearing he's talking about. It's not the information in and you don't know where it goes. The kind of hearing Jesus is talking about is what I experienced yesterday. I performed a wedding. And as I perform the wedding, I have a groom right here and a, a bride right here. And I'm asking the groom, now, if you agree with me, you will say, I do. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, yes, I do, I do, yes, whatever. I will do anything. That's the kind of hearing I'm talking about. Husbands, that will last for about six months. Sadly, I wish that would last the full duration. But I want to show you something very interesting. Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. And he's talking really about a kind of hearing. And it's a hearing that is a hearing based on love, not based on business contract. It's a hearing based on love. Jeremiah chapter 2 is explaining the relationship God had with his people when they were first delivered, rescued out of Egypt. And Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim this in the hearing of Jerusalem. If you notice, faith always comes through hearing. Not by sight, but by promises, by hearing. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness. What he's saying is when you were my young bride, you followed me everywhere. This is the kind of hearing he's talking about. But the problem is verse 5. He says, uh, actually you can begin, verse 4, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? That's not the kind of hearing. He's saying, you used to hear me. You used to follow me everywhere. Now, where'd you go? Where did you go? So, a disciple is you who hear, but it's, the hearing of somebody who's in love. If you go back to Luke, I'll even uh, show you a little more of what he's saying. Luke 8, verse 21. And he elaborates a little bit more on what he means by those who hear. Luke 8, 21. This, uh, this little passage, his, he had a mom and he had brothers and they came to see him and they were... Jesus was being crushed and people are like, your mom and your brothers are outside. And then Jesus in verse 21 answered and he said, my mother and my brothers, they are the ones who hear the word of God and they do it. 
That's what he's talking about. That's a disciple who hears the Word of God and does it. And if you think I'm um, taking this definition a little too far, look at, go to John 8.47. You need to hear this, and then we'll get in back into the passage. John 8.47. John 8.47, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are kind of upset at him because Jesus is saying, you're not, you're not a, really of Abraham because you would, you would act differently. And so here's what he'd say, verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So, what he's saying, you want to know how you're really God's? Are you really a disciple? You hear his words. So, my question for you is, before we go back to Luke, are you of God? Are you of God? Ask yourself right now before we go because I'm setting you up. Because what he's saying, if you are of God, you're going to do these next things. So, are you truly a disciple? Sure. I am. I know I am. All right. Okay, let's go back to verse 27. You who are a disciple, you who hear, you are going to start having a new kind of love. A love that loves your enemies. Question. How are you doing with Hillary? And, if you're on the other side, how are you doing with Donald? How are you doing with your neighbor that Let's his dog run over to your lawn and goes to the bathroom on it. How you doing with him? Love your enemies. Who's your enemy? I mean, think about it. Do you have any in your mind right now? People that just make you mad. Like just their very name. Like have, you can tell you have an enemy when you talk to somebody about naming their kid and you say, hey, would you name your kid this? No, I know somebody like that. Have you ever got into that? That's your enemy. That has happened, huh? (laughs) Then he keeps going. Do good to those who hate you. Does anybody hate you? Do good to them. Bless those who curse you. Do you ever know people are talking behind your back? You know they are. Do you talk behind their back? Jesus is saying, stop it. Don't do that. And then he says, pray for those who abuse you. Those who just swear at you and make fun of you. He says, pray for them. And then Jesus says, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Meaning if somebody humiliates you in front of others, let them do it again. If he just ruins your reputation... Big deal. Big deal. That's hard. I mean, these are really hard if you really think through it. Has anybody just humiliated you? Berated you in front of other people? He's saying, all right, let it happen again. Go ahead. To one, um, the other also, from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold the tunic either. 
we had somebody about three weeks ago reading ahead, and they were asking Jared and I, because you can ask the pastor questions, if you saw that, and they said, so do we just give whoever asks us? In some sense, yes. But again, well, well you're going you're gonna to start a cycle of dependency. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about somebody who's needy, and they ask you, and you have it. But you want it, and you don't want to give it. But they're needy, and they ask you. He's saying not just be generous, be what else do you need? What else can I do for you? Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. This is a tough one. I can remember living at Moody, and uh, you know, you'd have guys coming off the street asking for money because this is downtown Chicago. Hey, you got a few bucks? My brother lives three towns away. I need a bus ticket. I don't know why they always use that same one. I've heard that 17 times. And what they tell you is don't give them money because really what they're asking for is alcohol. But, you know, I mean, if they're hungry, give them. I remember one guy said, hey, do you have a few bucks? I'm hungry. And I was right by a McDonald's. And I said, hey, let me buy you a hamburger. And he was kind of like, he's kind of upset. He goes, okay. So I went in there, I bought him a hamburger, and I left, and I saw him trying to bring the hamburger back to get money. <laughs> it's crazy. But this was, this was convicting to me, and it should convict you. We are so callous. We're very callous. We're like, no, they just want. That's why we have a benevolent program. We, we also have what's called access, where if somebody's really asking for like rent or something, we'll call up this organization called Access, which will say, yeah, they hit seven churches on the way to your church. But there are two, but we do have gas cards. We do help with what we can. And sometimes we just have to take them at their word. It's okay. And I'll tell you why in a second. In verse 31, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. The golden rule, do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you. This is a new kind of love. Why is it a new kind of love? I was, one of my favorite books puts it like this, and I want you to think on this because this is heavy. Here's human love. Human love, human love, the kind of love that is natural, is awakened by attraction to what pleases it. So, for instance, every guy is attracted to a beautiful girl. And then you have wallflowers. Wallflowers are those girls that just you don't know. That's natural attraction. And what this writer says is that how, that's how human love operates. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's how everybody operates. We are attracted to what gives back to us. What fills me. It's very selfish. And really that's not love. We call that oftentimes either lust or we'll call that there's all kind of Greek words for this. The Greek word he's using is agape love. And this is very interesting. Go ahead and hit it. God's love, agape love, creates out of nothing. So instead of looking for somebody beautiful to love, it's just the opposite. We look for weak, needy, angry people to love. What? That's what Jesus is saying. I'll read it. I want to read from this, this book by Gerhard Ford, the guy who I got this from. He says this. Listen very closely. 
The love of God that lives in man loves sinners, evil persons, fools, and weaklings in order to make them righteous, good, wise, and strong. It's funny, you know how God creates of nothing? The Latin term for that is ex nihilo. He made the earth out of chaos. He took chaos. He first had to make darkness. And the idea of like in Genesis where it said there was, there was just God. In the beginning was God. And it said he really basically created darkness and light and separated them. But he created out of chaos and made a world that's beautiful and organized. That's how love should be. Looking for chaos and bringing God's grace into it to make it new. So let me say this again. The love of God that lives in man loves sinners, evil persons, fools, and weaklings in order to make them righteous, good, wise, and strong. Rather than seeking its own good, the love of God flows forth and bestows good. Rather than seeking its own good, I'm looking for what makes me happy, what brings me comfort, what brings me joy. What this says is God's love doesn't ask that question. Who can I bring comfort, love, and joy to? Those are the people I need to start loving. Therefore, listen to this statement. Therefore, sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. That's, why I, that's where we begin. Was I attractive to God when He saved me? No! I once was lost in darkest night. I thought I knew the way. I didn't. I once heard a person say it like this. We have this image that when God came looking for us, we were this beautiful bride. And our hair was perfectly curled and our makeup was put on so well. But you know what we were? We were the bride whose dress is all muddy, ripped, torn. We are, we are sitting on a couch drinking, bon drinking wine and having bonbons just drip down our mouth while we laugh like a hag. <laughs> That's who God loved. It's crazy, but that's who God loved. I want you to go to Psalm 41.1. This is a fascinating verse. As I was doing some research, one commentator pointed to this verse, and it's Psalm 41.1. Psalm 41.1 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. That phrase considers means sees. Sees. And the statement is most people don't see the weak, the needy, the poor, the disadvantaged. They're almost invisible to us. This is saying, blessed is the person who sees them and their heart is moved. If we go back to Luke, To be honest with you, when you read these things and when you really consider it, I remember about three weeks ago I was talking to a guy, I never met him before, and uh, he really smelled. And he had hair coming out of his nose and ears, and his breath was stale. And he talked to you this close. And he, he's one of the, have you ever been with a person 
that when they talk, it's hard to get out of the conversation. Like you're looking for an out, but his words keep running, you know, and so I was with him for a long time. And I, I got to tell you, that's who I'm supposed to love. But I don't want to. I don't want to. And so the next question then is, to all of us, is why should I love like this? Why? So Jesus gives us the reasons why we have to love those who are desperate and really unattractive and irritating and angry at me. Why, do I, why should I love them? Because I don't want to. He gives two reasons. The first one we find in verses 32 to 34. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive it, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love, lend to sinners to get back to the same amount. I'm going to tell you something. This is going to shock you. This is going to shock you. And this is something very personal about me. I can't believe I'm going to share this with you. But you know what? I, and Jeff, you will love this. I love pizza. Isn't that shocking? I eat pizza all the time. You know what else I, re I really like? You got, I know this will kind of offend you, but I like chocolate. And popcorn with butter on it, I really like it. Isn't that a shock? You're probably like, no, I, I think 99.9% .9 of Americans like pizza and chocolate. It's like no big deal. It's no big deal. This, uh, this past week was the last day of school, and my daughter Jasmine was really sad. And we're sitting at the table. I said, Jazz, why are you so sad? She goes, because I love school. My, my sons go, what? This is what he's talking about. When I love sinners, people will go, what? When I love those who love me, people are like, yeah, I like pizza too. Big deal. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not a benefit for you to love somebody who loves you back. Big deal. Who cares? Really. And so like the word benefit is kind of a confusing. Does that mean a reward? No, the benefit is. Okay, what is our role on earth? What is our role on earth? Our job on earth while we are here is to enjoy God, but to glorify Him and His Son. That means make them large. So the, the, really what this passage is saying, if I just love those people that love me and can give back to me, you are no different than anybody else and nobody's going to be impressed with your, your Christ. But if you love, people who are unattractive and have hair coming out of their ears and have cursed at you, you're like Christ. So in other words, why should I love? Because I'm a Christian. Christian has the root of Christ. Because I am a Christian. I am a little Jesus. I'm a little Christ. I have to live like Him. Or else I'm not a Christian at all. What does that mean? That's just a, something I fill on a demographic study. Yes, I'm a Christian. Ding, because I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. But we should use that word in a heavier sense. I, I give allegiance to Christ, and I show it by how I love. 
And a disciple means I'm a different person. A disciple isn't just everybody. It's people who have committed their life who hear. And a person who hears is different. So the first reason is because you're Christian. Second reason is more powerful than you can imagine. Look at verse 35 and 36. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and your sons of the Most High. You will be considered His children. But the reason why is because He's been kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So the second reason is because this is how God loved you. Why should I love like this? Because that's how God loved you. I was ungrateful for ev- I was ungrateful for 23 years that I got to breathe every single day. I was ungrateful that I didn't have to live a life like my sister Lara, who's got the mind of a three-month-old baby. I almost, I, I almost expected God to always give me what I want. For 23 years, I almost demanded it, or else I was very ungrateful. Evil? I was evil. I want you to go to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 describes what we were like before we were saved. And watch how this correlates to the things he says about how we're supposed to love other people. Romans 5, starting in verse 6. And so, whenever you hear the word we, put your name in there. Whenever you hear the word we, put your name in there. So it says, for while Chris Weeks is still weak, or while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So I am... I am described, before I met Christ, as weak and ungodly. Verse 7, For one will, will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps even for a good person one wouldn't dare to die, but God shows His love for Chris Weeks, and that while Chris Weeks was still a sinner, Christ died for him. So I'm called weak, ungodly, and a sinner. Sinner means I'm purposely not obeying. And then verse 9, since therefore Chris Weeks has now been justified by his blood, while his blood was shed for me, much more shall Chris Weeks be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. So Chris Weeks will be shielded from wrath. For if Chris Weeks was an enemy, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved. So I am called, before I met Jesus, I was weak, I was ungodly, I was a sinner, I was a person deserving of wrath, and I was an enemy. I was an enemy. Okay, so when Jesus goes back and he says, now love your enemies, the reason he says that is because that's who we were. This is hard. I'm not going to lie to you. This is really difficult. But what happens in verse 35, he says, you will be the sons of the Most High. And what he's saying is you're a new person. You are now born again. And if I'm born again, that means I am different. I'm born again. The Spirit of God lives in me. And you know what the Spirit of God is? He's not only your comforter, counselor, he's also a love potion. You ever seen movies when somebody takes a love potion? 
and you drink it down, and this, this lady that looked like a mud fence looks like an actress to you, because you, you, you drank a love potion. It's the same thing. You, the Spirit of God comes into you, and you start hearing people different. You don't, and really what he does, here's how the Holy Spirit works. You don't see faces, you don't see warts, you don't see moles, you see hearts. And you hear them. And angry people, you hear them as desperate people. Rude people, you hear them as blind people. This love potion is amazing. You start seeing different. And when people offend you, you don't see them going after you as much as they're fighting themselves. I read this very interesting book. It's called Rage Against God. It's titled Rage Against God. And it's the story of Christopher Hitchens. He was an atheist apologist for the new atheism. He hated it. He hated God. And his brother debated him. His name was Michael Hitchens. And Michael wrote the book, Rage Against God. He said, I started to realize the reason my brother was so angry at God is because he was trying to push down his own belief. He didn't want to believe. So his anger wasn't towards me. His anger was at trying to silence the conviction of God. And when you even see that with atheists or agnostics and you talk to them and they're mad and you listen, they're not mad at you. They aren't. Usually, here's what they're mad at. They're mad that somebody they love died and they think God should have kept them alive. They're mad at really feeling like they've been just unjustly treated. So really, their anger isn't towards you. It's at their own desire. They really want to believe, but they can't. It's strange. I don't know if that makes sense. But when the Spirit of God comes in you, you start seeing the world not as against you, but people who are bound by their own hatred. And you have pity on them. It's a love potion. And I'm going to give one more reason, and I think this reason is found in 37, is because there's rewards for love. And we are made for rewards. There's this big argument. Isn't that selfish to want a reward? Isn't it selfish to love for reward? In a way, yeah, but no. Because you've been designed for reward. You do it with your kids all the time. Johnny, if you do the dishes, I will take you to the game. Oh, really? That's not a bad thing. But this kind of reward is a different kind of reward. Let's listen. Verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. The reward is how you will be treated by God himself. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. That means it's, it's, a, it's not like a bag of potato chips. Have you ever gotten a bag of potato chips? And it looks full. And you open it, pop it, and it's got three chips in there. What a ripoff. This is saying it's not going to be like that. It's going to be a bag of chips where they jam them in there. It's not going to be, well, they won't jam them in there because they'll crunch them. But they'll load them in there and they'll shake it. Put more in there, shake it down. Put more in there, shake it down, and zip it up. And you got a re now that's a real bag of potato chips. Not that stupid Lay's where you pop it and you got three, and then you usually break the three. That's what this means. 
where it says, good measure, God's grace is going to be given to you in good measure, man. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be put into your lap. It's yours. You'll start tasting it. When you love people like that, God, God won't, He cannot help not giving to you. Especially when you're going to give it more to more people that He's dying to see saved. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's funny, I was thinking about this the other day. Actually, if you can turn there, Romans 8.18. I want you to take a look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. This is what is called, and I'll use my fancy voice, an eschatological verse. Eschatology means end times, and this is a verse pointing to the end of the world. But I, I, I would beg to differ. Yes, I think it is talking about the reward at the end of all days. But I also believe it counts for the present too. Listen to what it says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Okay, so he's comparing suffering, pain, insults, abuse, with glory. And he's saying, okay, if this is a scale, he's saying suffering, insults, and abuse, you, they don't even weigh on the scale compared to the heaviness of glory, what God is going to shine in us and through us. It's going to be so much bigger than any kind of abuse, suffering, pain that you've been through. And this is talking about the end of the world. Heaven is going to be worth it. We talked about that last week. Heaven is going to be so good that, as Paul said in Corinthians, our words, it's almost wrong to talk about heaven with our words because it's going to be that good. But I really believe this is also true about now. If we love, even those who hate us, people are going to see us different. This glory, we're going to be, we're going to be heavy people. People are going to notice us for Him. I think you can apply this to so many things in life. God will ask you to do things that won't make sense. Why do you want me to give, knowing that person's never going to give me back? Don't worry. I'll give you back, pressed down, shaken down, overflowing in your lap. Don't worry. Don't worry. And then when it's pressed down, shaken over in your lap, you are just, you're different. I want to end with this little story. I had a friend that, um, he was asking me about my life, you know. and He was asking me, he knew what I made and everything like that. And and he was uh, asking, how did your week go? And it was one of those weeks, I have to tell you, that I had three counseling sessions that broke my heart. I don't know. Sometimes counseling sessions can break your heart. And he looked at me in the face and he said, seriously, dude, like that, why do you do that job? Like, that's really how he asked me. He asked it like that, seriously, dude, like, why are you putting up with that? Why do you do that job? Seriously. 
And I said, you probably won't like my answer. But my answer is what I really believe. He goes, well, what is it? Why do you do that job? Because I don't, I wouldn't do that job. And here's my answer. I'm saved from hell. Lord, you saved us when we were ungodly, weak, enemies, objects of wrath, sinners. Who are we that we should demand? Who are we that we should judge? Who are we that we should compare and think ourselves better than anybody else? We're saved. That's about it. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.